And hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And, and now we can finally say that we are hosting the uh, post-legislative session edition of the podcast. Held over uh, from last week, legislature wrapped up its work on Wednesday. Uh, extra Props to the Senate for managing to adjourn sine die at high noon, precisely at high noon. I, I'm sure it wasn't planned, but uh, pretty uh, pretty interesting little uh, coincidence there. Yeah, they had just about wrapped everything up uh, Tuesday night, but rather than keep folks uh, until the midnight hour or beyond, as they had uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, been there before for that. Yeah, uh, mercifully, they let everyone go home Tuesday night, came in for a quick session uh, on Wednesday morning. Uh, it was less interesting in the House where they just sort of held on to one uh, budget bill and it was sort of this pro forma vote to make sure everything was in line. But there was a little bit of news uh, with the Senate endgame. Kevin, can you catch us uh, up to speed on, on what it took for the Senate to adjourn and, and, and uh, uh, one bill uh, lived and one bill died, right? Yeah. The Senate was actually pretty eventful in its final couple of hours on Wednesday morning. Um, in kind of the last salvo between the House and the Senate on tax legislation, the uh, the Senate turned down an unemployment tax cut. This was something that Governor Otter had pushed for all session. It had mentioned in his uh, State of the State address way back in January. The Senate had passed this bill a couple of weeks ago came back to the Senate because the House added uh, another round of income tax cuts or another proposed round of income tax cuts to this tax bill. Senate overwhelmingly rejected it. And you could tell, listening to a couple of the senators on the floor, they were none too happy that they were placed in the position of having to look at another income tax uh, proposal, another proposed reduction in income tax rates. And we're none too happy that the, the result of this is that the unemployment tax which passed the Senate overwhelmingly, passed the House overwhelmingly as part of a, a wider tax bill, that doesn't happen now. So that's a, a pretty significant development on the tax front, on the business tax front. It doesn't really affect education all that much. It right. doesn't really affect the, the general fund one way or the other. But you had that little uh, little showdown between the houses on Wednesday morning. And also on Wednesday morning, uh, the closeout on a bill that really came from out of nowhere. This was a... Um, a Kind of a caboose, if you will, to the, the, the <laughs> yeah. whole transportation infrastructure bill that passed. This will potentially free up some state money to go into safe routes to school projects. This could be uh, sidewalks or bike paths near schools. Um, the bill really came out of nowhere. I mean, it was introduced in the House uh, and a House committee on Tuesday afternoon, passed the House Tuesday evening. Went over to the Senate, very quick uh, committee hearing Wednesday morning, and a very quick and uh, bipartisan vote to pass it in the Senate. So this bill now goes to the governor's desk, uh, along with the larger transportation and income infrastructure bill. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. And kind of a little bit of an emotional story attached to the Safe Routes to School bill. Uh, the House representative 
Janet Trujillo, a Republican from Idaho Falls who sponsored the bill, uh, talked about, and luckily this is not too sad of a story, but she talked about how a couple of years ago uh, her grandson uh, was struck by a truck uh, right. while riding his bicycle home from school. Apparently he was in a, a crosswalk uh, trying to cross the street when a truck turned in front of him. Luckily he was okay, just shaken up. Uh, but it, it alarmed the family, and so she worked on this bill, and this was also um, kind of part of a, uh, a follow-up to a transportation package from a couple of years ago to appease the Democrats. Uh, and so that was sort of the last, the very last education-related bill um, to make it through, and it did end up passing. We're waiting to see what the governor uh, will do on this one. But uh, it was an interesting, sometimes tumultuous 80 days in uh, Boise, that's how long the legislative session lasted. That's uh, somewhat in keeping with the average length of sessions over the last 10 years. It's pretty close. But uh, So although we adjourned on Wednesday m- late morning, the 80th day, other than the Safe Routes to Schools bill, uh, most education issues were wrapped up within about 72 or, or 74 days uh, or so. And it was really uh, the issues of tax taxation, transportation, um and that, that kept uh, the legislative session going, kept it alive. Right. And, and I guess tangentially, discussion of education on the, the House floor and the Senate floor, the final days of the session, really sort of circled back to a lot of these bigger, uh, bigger bills that were coming along, the grocery tax, uh, the transportation, the infrastructure bill, and the... Uh, attempt to reduce income tax rates. What I was hearing kind of sort of a recurring theme on the floor, concerns from some legislators about how are these decisions at the end of the legislative session, how are these proposals uh, apt to affect uh, the budgeting process in years to come? Uh, grocery tax, which passed overwhelmingly, mm-hmm. had support on both sides of the aisle. It is an $80 million hit on the general fund. Uh, between the tax relief and some shifts of money to local governments. So that's $80 million that will not be available in, in the general fund, will not be available for budgeting purposes if, if this uh, is signed into law. So that was, uh, you know, that, that was something that came up in the debate. The infrastructure bill, uh, what this does, and it's a precedent, it's, it sets a, a new, new precedent for the way uh, highway projects are paid for siphons off 1% of sales tax revenue for transportation. Uh, there's been a lot of resistance over the years to moving general fund dollars into highway projects. This uh, this infrastructure package takes that first step. It's about a $15 million impact the first year, but I have to wonder if that isn't something we will see more discussion about in future years, more of a push to try to siphon more sales tax money into into transportation. Concerns some legislators have is that there's really no other way uh, to effectively pay for highway projects because the gas tax is sort of a, a tax of diminishing returns. The, the more we get uh, miles per gallon or move towards hybrids and what have you, the less uh, money comes in, relatively speaking, from the gas tax. So a lot of concern about trying to figure out how to pay for highways, but the more money you move from the general fund into highways is uh, is money that you don't have available to pay for education or pay for higher education or all of the other needs of state government. So you heard that a little bit on the floor of the House and on the floor of the Senate these final few days. Uh, you know, 
kind of a, you know, a, a an alarm moving forward. Sure. And, and that's why we talk about overall budget implications. That's why we talk about taxes. That's why we talk about this transportation package, because uh, public school spending is the state's largest general fund expense every year. It's up to almost $1.7 billion uh, this year. We still have two more expensive years of the career ladder salary law uh, to keep in place, to keep going, uh, looking forward to the immediate future. So every big ticket item, uh, everything with major budget implications, everything with tax implications in a way, relates to the general fund, which directly relates to the, the pot of money that is available uh, to fund our public schools, especially as we look at the career ladder and especially as uh, we have a higher education task force, which will be working uh, this summer, and we have a K-12 public school funding formula interim committee that will get back to work maybe as early as May, uh, May 2017, to continue developing recommendations uh, to update or rewrite the state's funding formula. And so uh, all of this, in a way, does come back to education because it is the biggest expense for the state. Right. And I think maybe part of the reason you heard some of these alarms at the end of this legislative session Lawmakers who are paying attention to the budgets, and you, know, you hear from lawmakers who work on those budget committees especially, um, they know that they've still got two more years of the career ladder yep. to pay for. And, and you're hearing lawmakers talking about other budget pressures in, in education. You still have that insurance issue that was talked about this session that is uh, really a, a big impact on schools. You have uh, some lawmakers who are concerned about what happens in a couple of years when the master teacher premium rolls out? How much is that going to cost? Because how many teachers are going to apply for the money and qualify for the money? So, you know, I, I think you've got some lawmakers who are a little bit concerned about where this uh, where this train is going. And you heard a little bit of that in the closing days of the session. And I suspect you may hear more of it in 2018. And why might we hear more about it in 2018? If there were some fireworks this year, there may well be fireworks next year because at the end of next year's legislative session, we will be just weeks away uh, from primary elections for all legislators and for uh, the state's big constitutional offices. That will be on a lot of people's minds. Uh, governor, superintendent of public instruction, uh, attorney general, all of those types of positions. Every legislative seat uh, will be exposed will expire. Many incumbent legislators will be looking uh, to go home to their districts and campaign for re-election. And those will be tough, divisive votes, I predict, uh, if we're talking about major budget implications, tax decisions, um, maybe not having quite as much money as we had hoped uh, available. I I don't know that that's the case, but if that is the case, uh, those will be big, big uh, decisions late next year, potentially. Right. we got to get there. Uh, we got to see how revenues line up. There's a lot that needs to happen between now and then. Uh, but uh, the elections, especially every two years, the legislative elections are almost always a factor, uh, mm-hmm. as far as oh, I can Oh, sure. Uh, election year is always a, a more complicated uh, legislative session, especially this 2018 session with all of those elections coming up. But before we even get there, uh, we have to kind of watch and see and wait on the uh, the current governor and, and see how he weighs in on what uh, what's coming down to to, to his desk 
as a result of the end of this legislative session. Right. Even though the legislative session adjourned on Wednesday, it's almost as if uh, it, it keeps going because even though the legislators went home, uh, state law and legislative rules give the governor 10 days uh, to act on any late session bills that came uh, to his desk. And so we still have not seen the governor act on uh, the school budgets. We still have not seen uh, the governor uh, act on the grocery tax mm -hmm. uh, repeal. And a lot of folks, I, I think the education budgets um, most likely are going to be fine if he if he vetoed those that would automatically trigger a special legislative session. I don't think anybody create turmoil. Right. I don't, I don't think anybody's, anybody's in the business of turmoil. It, talking point. about that, but but this grocery tax that we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast today, uh, we are waiting for the governor on this, uh, and and there's a reason why people are watching the governor on this because he wrote uh, a letter to the legislature essentially uh, opposing the grocery tax, saying we don't want this. Right. So let's get caught up here. So. As the legislature was talking about uh, the repeal of the grocery tax, the governor sent a letter to uh, Senate President Pro Tem Brent Hill saying that he's opposed to attempts to uh, repeal the grocery tax. He did not overtly threaten a veto. Right. And the governor tends not to do that. He tends not to say, I'm going to sign this or I'm going to veto it. Uh, and governor's uh, preceding uh, Governor Otter have kind of followed that protocol. But if you read... What he said in that letter, it'd be pretty hard for him to walk back off of that. So we're kind of in this waiting mode. Um, you know, the, the governor absolutely has the final word on the grocery tax simply because the legislature is out of town. They've adjourned. They left this grocery tax bill and put it on his desk. Even though the grocery tax passed both houses by more than two-thirds, by majorities that could theoretically override a veto, they're not here to override a right. veto. So if the governor vetoes this, that's it. That's it for grocery tax for uh, 2018. Grocery tax repeal is dead for 2017. And really all kinds tax of relief. Tax, yeah. tax relief of any kind is dead for 2017 because of the, uh, the, the situation we talked about with the unemployment tax bill earlier in this, uh, in this podcast. So a lot to watch for here with the governor. And, you know, we're expecting now he... he abruptly postponed a, a post-legislative session uh, press conference on Thursday. Uh, the word from the governor's office was that the governor had laryngitis and couldn't speak. So uh, that's been rescheduled. Uh, Monday is now the day for that. So expect a lot of questions about the grocery tax. Um, maybe we'll get some closure on that issue come Monday. So we'll see. I mean, there's, there's a lot uh, up in the air and, and it really kind of Focus now is on the governor. Sure, and if you're wondering what the governor can do, he actually has uh, three options. Let's go through them real quickly. Uh, all of the bills, not just the grocery tax bill, the governor has three options. He can sign them into law, he can veto them, or he can allow them uh, to pass into law without his signature. When it comes to the grocery tax, I would look for one of two things to happen, either to allow it to pass into law without his signature or perhaps potentially uh, to veto it. But the governor does have three options uh, with all of those bills uh, that are arriving at his desk. Right, Kevin? Right, and whatever he winds up doing, we will uh, have the latest on that. So keep an eye on idahoidnews.org and we'll, we'll keep you posted on that. As the session wound up, we both had a chance to kind of sit down with a few of the uh, the first year legislators. Uh, there were several uh, lawmakers who were assigned to the education committees. That's not uncommon. Um, 
but we had a chance to kind of sit down and talk to to a few of them. You talked to uh, three on the House. I talked to a, a newbie on the Senate side. Uh, what were your takeaways talking to some of the uh, the freshmen in House education? It, it was kind of a fun exercise for me to work on this. At this point, I think this is my seventh legislative session. So just the exercise of talking to people who are brand new to the legislature uh, was interesting uh, to me to see what impressed them the most, what surprised them the most. Uh, and so I think that... Uh, it, you know, it, it kind of becomes routine for us almost to a certain extent, and so that was fun uh, to talk with these folks. But I think uh, uh, our readers would, would enjoy looking at that story, especially if you want to keep an eye on uh, maybe a couple of up-and-coming uh, lawmakers that may uh, continue to be involved with education issues. We actually, I presented a couple different sides of the science standards debate mm -hmm. uh, within the profile. On the one hand, I interviewed uh, Representative Scott Syme of Caldwell. He's the Who's House right member who was right in the middle of it, who led the push uh, to repeal the five uh, academic science standards related to human impact uh, on climate change. Uh, talk to him about that. He actually, uh, uh, fellow legislators tease him and gave him uh, kind of a tongue-in-cheek nickname, Scott Simon the Science Guy, um, <laughs> which was kind of fun. I was interviewing him. They were actually asking him uh, how warm he thinks it's going to be when the legislature convenes <laughs> next year in January. So, um, But I don't want to diminish the seriousness uh, of the overall topic. Uh, it was just kind of a... Um, an interesting interview, but uh, if you read the article, uh, Representative Syme talks about how for him it wasn't really about climate change at all. He knew the standards would come back next year no matter what, and he wanted to, as he said before, tell both sides of the climate change uh, debate and also add in, uh, he thought it was uh, slanted against the negative impact uh, that humans have caused on the environment. He wanted to include some of the positive things uh, that humans have done to mitigate uh, impacts on the environment, things he mentioned, uh, potentially clean energy sources, wind farms, things like that. On the other side of the coin, I interviewed Representative Paul Amador, a first-year Republican from Coeur d'Alene. And before Representative Syme had a chance to uh, remove the five references to climate change, Representative Amador uh, actually voted to pass, actually made a motion to pass the science standards intact. He said he didn't care uh, about teaching both sides of the debate. That was fine. He didn't have a problem with that. What he said, uh, kind of de demonstrating a little bit of an independent streak, was that he trusted the teachers who put together the science standards, and he wanted to remove uh, politics from the process. Uh, and so that's kind of an interesting look at both sides of that debate. Also had a chance to interview Representative Sally Toon, a Democrat uh, from Gooding, who had been a classroom teacher uh, for 37 years. Uh, she said it was a dream come true to be put on the Education Committee after her career in education. And she actually followed up. Um, she won the legislative seat that was previously held by her good friend, retired representative, Donna Pence, but Kevin, you had a chance to talk with one of the uh, first-year senators who's right in the middle of education issues, both serving on the Senate Education Committee and the Joint Budget Committee. Who was it, and, and what did he have to say? Yeah, I had a chance to talk to Carl Crabtree. He's a first-termer from, from Grangeville and represents this sprawling legislative district that goes from Idaho County all the way up to uh, portions of uh, a couple of counties uh, near near the Canadian border. Um what I found interesting talking to him, I mean, we talked about the science standards issue, and he said, uh, yeah, I, I got probably about 99.9% .9 of the emails that I got about this were people saying, 
leave the standards alone, pass them intact. What, what are you guys thinking? <laughs> um, and he said, I kind of have a little bit of what you heard from Representative Syme. He, he said, look, I, we know we're coming back and looking at this thing again in, in 2018. Let's, uh, let's try to uh, take the time and come up with something that has more buy-in from more people. So uh, that was kind of his takeaway on the science standards. What I found really interesting about him, uh, talking to him, it's very uncommon, not unprecedented, but it is uncommon for a first-year legislator to be assigned to JFAC, to the Budget Committee, because that is such a detail-oriented committee. Yeah. You know, a lot of responsibility, long committee meetings every, every day, um, every morning through most of the session. You tend to have more seasoned legislators on that committee. Uh, he was one of, I believe, two uh, first-year legislators on JFAC. I, I could be wrong, but that's kind of the number that jumps out in, in my head. But as I asked him about the two assignments, he said the JFAC was actually easier, that the harder assignment was Senate education, which really surprised me. But his point of view on it is, you know, I, I can work with numbers. I understand numbers. You know, you know it's, it's a numbers challenge in JFAC, but in Senate education with issues like, uh, you know, like science standards and, you know, all of the other policy issues that come along, it's a lot more nuanced. It's a lot more complicated. He found that assignment to be the more challenging and more overwhelming assignment. Really interesting perspective. Anyway, uh, go to edit, go to edit.news.org and catch up with our, uh, kind of mini profiles of these four, uh, newcomers. Yeah, it was a fun story. I hope you guys uh, enjoy it. I think that catches us up with all of these week's headlines. Be sure to check our site late Monday afternoon. Uh, we'll be staffing the press conference with Governor Otter uh, to ask him about his critique of the session. We'll see if we have any news uh, on any of the uh, remaining bills that are on his desk up for consideration. And then I think we're going to take a little bit of time and uh, Maybe talk to folks outside of the Boise bubble uh, about the impact of the legislative session. And then uh, as we move farther into the spring, uh, we'll diversify with just more general education news uh, in general on our site. So we're looking forward uh, to that. But we will be back next week with another brand new edition of the Extra Credit Podcast on Friday. Uh, but until then, thank you so much for listening. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week. 